Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. Told the, uh... thanks Dave, cold water, I like it. Told the first service that the reason you do a, a missions report is because Paul said it was necessary for him where he'd gone out, he'd come back to the church and say, listen, this is what happened while we were gone. And he proclaimed what God had done and how God had done it and how God had used weak vessels to give himself glory and to change people's lives. So that's why we take time to do that. It's important um, that we recognize God's at work in the world, not just in my backyard. Hopefully he's at work in your backyard. If he's not, you and him probably have a conversation. And probably you ought to yield yourself to the mission of God. And the whole purpose of a mission trip to me is, I mean, there, there, there is obviously that thing where you're taking the gospel of somebody who maybe doesn't know it. As I said and watched that, that man, I don't know if you caught it, the, the, the one guy that Sheila talked about was giving his heart to Christ. And he was the second guy that Alex ran to and grabbed a hold of with the red like polo shirt thing on. My heart was going to cry. Because I, I really believe what Psalm 37, 23 says, that God orders our steps. I think God made sure he sat right there on that corner that Alex would get flung right at him, play, portraying the person of Christ and go, I'm doing this for you. And make it prevalent that that one man who knows where he came from, who knows where he is, that man, this is for you. I love you. And he loves each one of us. And so listen, um, and he wants us to be on mission. So when he orders steps of other people to be in front of us, we can carry the gospel and the message and the mission with us. Um, you know, we've been talking, if you get, need to get a, grab, grab a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter three. Um, if you've got your smartphone or whatever it is, technology you use, and you want to follow me on new version, you can do that. Um, we're just going to dive right in. Um, and we've been talking about afterlife. Afterlife is what happens after somebody dies. Scriptures tell us that we all live in a state of deadness. Prior to Christ, we are all dead. It's not just that we have issues. It's not just that we have weakness. It's not just that we make bad decisions. It's that we live in a state of death. And Jesus came to resurrect us out of that stuff. And so as, uh, as living a, a, a life that's resurrected, there should be certain things. So we've been, ever since Easter, we've been trucking through Colossians 3. And we've made it all the way uh, down about more than halfway through the chapter. But I want you to read something. Uh, Colossians 3.17, I preached on last week. And actually for the two, the two messages last week and the message before that, before I went to El Salvador. Uh, and, and Colossians 3.17 reads like this. Let every detail in your lives, this is the message, I like how it renders it here. Lives means, in Paul's mind, three things. Words, actions, and he tacks on whatever. Let every detail on your lives be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And so here's what I have to say. It is, is Paul saying, listen, everything about us ought to reflect Christ. Whatever we do, we ought to do as representative of Christ. But the question is, where do I begin even to start that process? And so, so Paul begins uh, in the next couple of verses to um, um, unpack that, to, to peel that back. And he says these words. Um, uh, let, me, let me say something. Um, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to hit the road right where all of us live. Because all of us have a home life. 
And that's where Paul starts by talking about what this whatever looks like. Whoever we are at home. God, if the resurrection power of Christ isn't evident in the space and the place, in the relationships where we feel the deepest, hurt the deepest, or, or experience the most joy, if that if, if he is not, if that resurrection power is not in that place, can it really be resurrection power at all? Can it really be said that God gave us power if the joy he gives us it doesn't supersede even the joy we experience as a married person or as a parent? And, and shouldn't the joy he gives us translate into passing it along to spouses and to children and to people God calls us to live right alongside of 24-7 wherever possible? Is that, is that true? And so if it's not there, why not? Maybe because we haven't tapped into the power he's given us. It's not because he lacks, it's because we do. And so he hits the ground run. He gets right down the nitty-gritty. He's talked in general terms to this point, and now he gets very specific. And so Colossians 3.18 reads like this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Verse 19 reads, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Bible Knowledge Commentary makes a quick comment about this piece of scripture in accordance with the theme of colossians maturity in christ i want to say something about that the whole idea of us as followers of christ is that we are to be growing you cannot consider yourself a mature christian and treat the people you live with like trash don't tell me you're a mature Christian and be, 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 be a horrible person to live with. I don't care how many, I don't care how many years you, you have come to church. I don't care what date your, your, your spiritual birth certificate reads. I don't care what crusade you showed up at and gave your heart to Christ. I don't care. But if you are not, mature, you are not a mature Christian, if you can treat the people you live with like garbage. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just speaking the truth because I want you to, I want you to rise to the occasion I want you to live as a follower of Christ. I want the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to not only live in you, but live through you. And I want you to grow up into that person Jesus has called you to be. So let's start at home. Can we do that? Let's start. I, I see too many Christian families struggling. I see too many Christian couples thrown in the towel. I see too many, too many Christian parents vacating their responsibility. So let's just start there. Can we do that? Wives. I know this is old school. I don't apologize for that. The message reads like this. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Verse 19 says, husbands, go all out in love for your wives. We go out all out for a lot of things, don't we? Guys, but sometimes the hardest place we have going all out in is at home. Don't take advantage of them, he says. Wives, this idea to submit, it's a, a submission that's fitting, a fitting submission. What does that look like? Um, the scriptures say that this is subjecting yourselves. It's a verb that has a military air to it, and it means this. It means that, 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 that I recognize in, in, in rank and in role, there's a person who has been delegated a certain amount of, of responsibility in my life, and I willingly subject myself to their authority because they are not in control of their lives they are they are delegated authority under someone called the commander-in-chief 
Okay? As a husband follows Christ, a wife ought to be able to submit to him. Are you hearing me? Wives, that is your job. Now, that doesn't, mean you're un, that doesn't mean you're not equal. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to be ran over like a Mack truck. It doesn't mean any of those things. It does mean that you, that you as your husband uh, attempts to follow Jesus, and in things that, 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 that don't conflict with the Scripture, you follow him. Now, it has this idea. It means it, having arrived at a place to reach towards something. This is this thing where it says as fitting. It means I recognize some of us maybe are still kind of growing up. Maybe, we, maybe we're still struggling with this idea of marriage and what it means. And so here's the deal. You're to be striving towards that. You're to be reaching towards that idea of submission. It doesn't come naturally. I mean, we can see that. One of the real issues that, that, that happened in the garden is this. Adam is God's delegated authority. Eve is not there in the beginning. She's not made till later. God sees her. He needs a helpmate, right? God had already proclaimed to Adam his wishes, his will, his word. And he said, listen, eat of everything else. Just don't eat of that one tree. You know what she does? She comes out from under the authority of Adam and submits to the authority of a snake. That's the issue. She came out from underneath the appropriate authority and submitted to someone else's ideas and will. So many times in our marriage relationships, we have that same thing. I've got my will. He's got his. I'm going to do my thing. Not in a godly home, you shouldn't. I'll talk about the husband's rule in a minute, but that, that, that's, that, that, that's, that's the idea. That's where, that's where it enters into the picture. Paul said, Paul, it's not just for his day. He talks about going back to creation. He references it in Ephesians 5 about the church and how it responds to Christ. And so it has everything to do with how we live where we're at right now. It, 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 it's, it's, it has to do, there, there is more limitations to this submission thing, okay? And, and I don't want you to, to freak out like, dude, my husband, you just don't know. He is a complete, like he's a pagan. And I mean, I've come to Christ and he's got all this weird stuff. He wants us to listen. Okay, wait just a minute. As is fitting for somebody who's following Christ, it's very obvious that if, he, if he's asked you to do things that flies in the face, at that moment, you submit yourself to Christ before you submit yourself to him. Do you understand that? It, the scriptures are clear about that when it comes uh, to governmental entities and things like that. That we're submit to them so long as that submission does not conflict with our spiritual and scriptural uh, uh, obligations. Okay? So you understand what I'm saying? And so this is the same, the same object applies here. And so you, 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 you are to submit to him as he follows Christ. The, the, there's an idea of here of, of, of a priority of obligation. And so that's... Uh, uh, that, that's what God wants. Can I say something just, just as a word of, of comment? Um, you can't submit fittingly and nag all the time. You just can't. The Bible says uh, a nagging wife is as of a constant dripping. That's Proverbs. In case you're wondering. And, 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 and I want you to be really aware that, that, that you, you have to, I, had, I just had somebody ask me to pray with him at the end of first service. They said, I want to follow Jesus, and I want, I believe my husband is following Jesus, but some priorities are out of whack, and I'm really struggling, and tears. 
My encouragement to her was this. The Bible tells us that we don't win the heart. And here's the idea. The idea of belief in our culture has to do with what we think. Am I right? Has all the thing to do with this thing right here. And you may have a husband or a spouse who believes here, but their life does not represent a trusting in Christ. Because the way Jesus sees belief is it translates more from just mentally understanding and give, to, to actually you, you lay your life down because of it. Okay, you may have a husband who believes in certain areas, but he may not be trusting in certain areas. And Peter writes to ladies whose husbands are unbelieving or not trusting Christ in certain facets of their life, that, that, that their, their conversation and what he does mean there doesn't mean they're talking. It's actually a reference to their lifestyle. They can win the heart of their husband by how they live, not by what they say. So my encouragement to you is this. Walk as a resurrected spouse. Walk as a woman who is full of the Spirit of God. Offer grace, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, grace, mercy, and forgiveness just as Jesus would. And don't beat your dude over the head. And don't remind at every opportunity how miserably he's failing. And how you wish he was someone else. And how you wish he were different. How you wish he was like so-and-so. And how, don't just, you, 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 you want to create a recipe for, for disaster? That's it right there. And, 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 and so try that. Husbands, you want to make that job for them a little easier? Paul's pretty clear. He uses some real definite articles in here. Always love, never, never be harsh. Always love, never be harsh. He's not giving room for wiggle here. Doesn't say sometimes on either of those two things. Always love, never be harsh. This word here, love, means, uh, it, it, it means to take pleasure in, to love based on something's regarded value. Let me help you with that one. Your father in heaven regards your wife at such a high price that he would send his son to die for her. That is the value of love you are to place upon her. Not because of how she's performing. Not because dinner's late every night. Not because she spends money like water, which she may. Not because of, of, of how, but because of how God regards her. That is how you're to love her. Are you, are you tracking with me? That's heavy, isn't it? Whew. I get to sweating just thinking about it. I don't think it's the air conditioner. Love your wife. It, it, is, it is in the present active imperative tense. And here's what it means. It means to love and keep on loving. It means not to just have done it for the first two weeks of, uh, of the honeymoon. It means to keep it going. Year one, year two, decade one, decade five, decade seven. It means to love and keep on loving. Woo! You can't do that by yourself, gentlemen. And I'm not talking about romance. Okay? This isn't just about candlelight dinners and walks on the beach, okay? This is not just about, the, the, it, this is about sacrificially giving of yourself. Giving of all that you are to improve her life. That her interests are at the core of every decision you make. 
Because that's how Christ loved the church, according to Ephesians 5. If you read Ephesians and Colossians, you will find that they are parallel pieces of Scripture. And here's the reason. This is one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite books because it is the example of a church that's on its task. You know why? Because Colossian, the Colossian Christians are spiritual grandchildren to Paul. What are you talking about here? Paul never started this church. He didn't visit this church. He wasn't a part of the daily workings of this church. He goes to preach in a town called Ephesus where, we get our, where, our, where he writes the letter to the Ephesians, the book in the Bible. And there's this guy there named Epaphras who gets so messed up with the gospel, he cannot stand himself. Paul mentors him and grows him up. He runs to his hometown called Colossae, and he starts a church that Paul never visited. He just merely wrote a letter to. In the scriptures, in the kingdom, we call that multiplication. God dropped the gospel into the heart of one person, and it turned into changing the lives of a bunch of different people. And so Paul writes very similar words to the Ephesian church, whom were his spiritual children, as he writes to his spiritual grandchildren, the church at Colossae. Would to God that every one of us would get so much of the gospel and the power and the spirit of God in us that we would have spiritual grandchildren. That people that we don't even know are affected by the gospel because of somebody we did touch. That's somebody our lives connected with. And that shouldn't be just a desire of me as a leader in a church. That should be your desire as a follower of Christ because God said go and make disciples who would make other disciples. So this is why I love Colossians. It's one of my favorite books because it's, it's just the epitome of how the gospel is to be lived out. And so, so he says here, uh, love your wives. Don't treat them. Like, love them and keep on loving. It is the husband's duty to love his wife and put her interest first. I just said that. They must love them with tender and faithful affection as Christ loved the church. I just said that. As their own bodies, even as themselves. With a peculiar love. To the nearest relation and the greatest comfort and blessing of life, prayerfully the marriage covenant. Wives are like tender flowers, one commentary wrote. They may wilt under authoritarian dominance, but they blossom with tender loving care. So in a maturing, there's that word again, in a maturing marriage, the husband exercises compassionate care and his wife responds in willing submission to his loving leadership. It's supposed to work that way. He says, never be harsh. This has to do with the idea of bitterness. The actual Greek word means to embitter, to be embittered, to make bitter, to turn something sour. So you want to mess up your marriage, just be harsh all the time, every day. Harsh may be a result of words that you speak. It may be the result of silence. And you can tell the difference. You know when you're being silent just to not respond and kind of like have that. You want to talk to me that way? I'm just not saying nothing. You also know what it's like not to measure up. And they're constantly getting hammered about how you're not doing it. And, why, and, and, and I've, seen, I've seen husbands do the same thing I just talked about wife. I've seen husbands just grill and grill and grill their wife. And nothing she does is right. And the, the, the pancakes are always wrong. And the fo- clothes aren't folded correctly. And why did she park the car in the first place? And you go over and over and over. And, and you know what you're doing? You're turning your wife sour. There's some root of bitterness in you that's being translated into her. Maybe it was your dad. You know what? Jesus can heal you of that. You don't have to be that man. If you're a resurrected life, God can fix that. Well, I didn't have, I didn't have a dad. I didn't, I didn't see how you're supposed to treat a woman. And what my, dad, my, my dad was going, listen, you have a father in heaven, and he gave you everything you need in his book to teach you how to be a father and a husband. 
And stop making excuses why you can't. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, you can be that. No more. No more excuses. No more of that. Is it hot? Do not have the habit, one translates it, of being bitter. It's a habit. It's just a normal day of life, how you do things. I read, I read a quote this week from another pastor. He says, a man who yells at a woman or his woman or who lectures her is not leading. He's failing. He can't lead, so he yells. Ouch. I have found that. When I'm struggling with leading, I yell. When I have a hard time doing my spot, I yell. Nobody else, nobody's with me on that, huh? I guess I must, I must out here on, on this peninsula by myself, huh? Am I right? I start, <laughs> thanks, Todd. I get out there, I'm not doing my job, and so I radically project me not doing my job onto somebody else. Huh? I, I, I can go on. Remove one of the women. Can you do that? Um, I, I, I do that. So we've got to be really careful that as we're leading, we lead as Christ would lead. He didn't lead authoritarianly, man. He, he, he led with truth at the core of everything he did and with love as the expression of it. He, 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 he operated in things. Here's the thing. For us to be these kinds of husbands and wives, there are three ingredients we have to absolutely have. I tell couples sitting in my office, we do get ready to do premarital counseling, that life is built on a certain foundation. There are certain pillars that hold up a good marriage. And the, the, one, of the, one of the pillars is this. These three things working in unison with one another is this. Forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And you have to operate in them almost every day. And in some cycles and seasons of life, probably momentarily. That wife of yours isn't always going to submit the way you think she ought to. And what is that time for? Forgiveness. You know what? Wife, that husband isn't always going to lead like he's supposed to. You know what that means? Forgiveness. You know what that means? At times, grace is this thing. You give them what they don't deserve. That jerk. You know what? I love him so much. I know how much he likes a spaghetti dinner. And he's been a jerk to me today on the phone. He's called from work. But you know what? I'm just pouring some grace on him. It's going to be the best spaghetti dinner he ever had in his life. Huh? You know what I mean? Mercy's this. Mercy is not giving somebody something that they do deserve. I should just rip her up one side and down the other. How dare she talk to me like that? Who does she think she's dealing with? And you know what you do? Too bad my wife's not here. I'd go over here and do this right now. I'd walk over and I'd just lay the biggest piece of affection on her she ever had in her life. I'd hug her until her eyeballs bulge out. And I'd say, you know what? I love you. And I know it's been a hard day for you, but I love you anyway. We're going to make it together. Not giving up on you because you're weak at times. I'm weak too. I hope you're there for me the next time I have a weakness. I pour it down on her. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about being the example that this relationship we're talking about should be the example of how Christ treats his church. And see, now God doesn't stop there with just those things. Uh, I mean, says, for, this should be the first among your earthly relationships. Husband, wife, understand this. This is to take priority. I read a commentary. Husband is, not, is to love his only his wife. There must be no other 
woman or person substituted in her place. She alone is to be his bride and his lover. No other person is to take her place. Not even, now here's the next line, he gets really close to home now. Not even parents. There's this piece of scripture that says leave and cleave on purpose. At some point in time, you're supposed to vacate the premises and start your own family, okay? Are you hearing me? It doesn't matter what daddy thinks, if hubby thinks otherwise. Doesn't matter what mommy thinks, if sweetie thinks otherwise. Are you hearing me? First, first, kids, above your kids, above your kids. Your marriage relationship is to be, because you know what, your, your kids have to be raised in a stable home. And the only way your kids get to raise in a stable home is if the relationships are in proper perspective. That you and, you and your spouse are completely connected, body, mind, and spirit, and there is nothing else trying to take the throne of that place. That's it. No job, no best friends. Your best, you should not be spending more time texting your best friend than you do talking to your wife or your husband. There should be no hobby, no vocation where you're spending more affection, more energy, more time, more, more anything than you are with your wife. With your husband, I'm telling you right now, we have got it out of sorts because we're chasing the American dream and we're missing it, man. The things that are eternal are getting away from us. The things that are temporal, we're holding towards us and we're going to lose them in the end anyway. And so here's the deal. Nothing should compete. This is the first and foremost relationship. If we're going to live in a res- resurrected family, you can treat her, he says not to treat her harshly. You can treat her harshly by how you prioritize your time, how you prioritize your money, how you prioritize your affection. Listen, you can. I've known husbands who are decent husbands, you know, moral people, but every time that there, there needs to be something at the house and something spent, they grill their wife over the spending of money. And I would say this, some wives have given lots of reasons why husbands get like that. Huh? 85 pairs of shoes in the closet. You know what I mean? It all fits. If the shoe fits, wear it. You know what I'm saying? Huh? And we wonder why our houses are in disarray. Shh. Let's make it easy for each other. Will we do that? If we love and honor and respect each other, we're going to make the difference. If we offer forgiveness, grace, and mercy, it'll make a difference. And our light will shine brightly because nobody else is doing that. That's the point anyway. Children, obey your parents and honor them. Children, always obey your parents, Colossians 3.20 says, For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they become discouraged. Children, your job is to obey and honor. Now, I don't see too many young ones in here. There's a couple. I see you. You're hiding I picked up my two daughters. They were sitting right here the first service. I'm not going to play any names, but they're sitting right there. <laughs> Obey. As, an, as a minor child, as a person who's not ventured out, as a person who's still under care, as a person who's, who's not married yet, those kinds of things, you are absolutely obligated to honor your, uh, obey your parents. Now, as you grow and in, 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 in mature and you begin to let your wings fly and you start your own life, and that means you vacate mommy and daddy's place, or you grab yourself according to, you know, you, 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 know, you, know what, you know what adulthood is. I don't think we do. Because we keep extending it for our kids. I remember Pastor Eric told me one time he prayed about what this deal is with teenagers. He's praying one day and said, God, what is the deal with teenagers? Why do we have so many problems with teenagers? And he said, he felt like the Lord's response was this, they were never my idea. 
What was he meaning? The Hebrew culture that the scriptures are based in, at the age of 13, you became an adult. You had a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, and at that moment, you were expected to start acting like an adult, living like an adult, start making a way, being an apprentice, and growing in what you're supposed to be. You know what we keep doing in America? We keep extending adolescence. That's another point. I'll get to that in a minute. Children, uh, you, this, is the hard, this is the hard part sometimes. It doesn't mean occasional obedience. It means continual. And so, so we talked about until they reach adulthood. When you're at home, you, it changes from, when you're not at home anymore, it changes from obey to honor. Okay? In, in Exodus, where we get this commandment from, it says to honor your mother and father. You know what that means? To regard them with high value as the people who place certain things in you. The persons who God used and trusted you with at your early age when you were needed nurturing. Now, I recognize this too. Some of you are sitting here going, dude, my parents were a stinking wreck. Okay, and you just don't know. And I probably don't. But here's what I do know. There are certain things maybe they did give you you should honor. There are things you should let go of. And here's another part of healing, the healing and the resurrection power of Jesus. He can take that which was broken as a result of your interaction with your parents. And he can heal it. And you don't have to be the replication of them. Because if you pack that stuff around, you will become that. You will act like that. You will do that. Your, kid, your children will, will end up receiving the same kind of frustration that, that, you, that you received. And so you've got to give it to Christ. You've got to walk it out with him. The ones, again, this is in the Lord, right? I just covered that with the wife. Listen, now everything parents are going to expect of you is going to be godly. Not everything, parents, they're going to be weak and frail. Not everything. And so honor is, is, is a result of, 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 of good things they place in your life, okay? Am I, am I, is that clear? Any other, any other clarification of that? Fathers, really this word that they use here for fathers can be loosely given to, to mothers because in other languages, things have, are gender, genderish. And usually in, in other cultures, when the language is used, and, and there, there's there are both male and female people involved in the plurality of what's going on, they just give it the male connotation. So it does say fathers, but here's what I have to say about this. Mothers, you're not off the hook with this next line. I know mothers who are just as harsh as fathers can be, and the same result will transpire. Okay, he says, fathers, do not, um, how do I say it? Fathers, don't aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged. This idea is, again, like the thing we talked about with, 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 with wives nagging and husbands nagging. It means to nag as a habit. Fathers, you set the tone. Everybody else is running with you. And so, so you, you've got to set the tone right. Some of, you, some of you have set the tone by not doing anything. And then your wives are becoming aggravated, and so are your kids. Okay. Should I just stand there for a minute? But developing a loving and trusting relationship with his sons and daughters, they respect him. They will follow his lead and learn from his godly example. If a father is unjust or too severe, he will provoke his children to bitterness. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That means to make continual agitation and unreasonable demands. Some of us do that. You know why? Because we intend to live through our kids. And we mess them up. By living through them. What things we miss, we want to make sure they get. What things were our dreams and our desires, we try to make sure they do. Can I say something? Your son Johnny probably is not going to be the next Derek Jeter. And he may not want to be, but you won't even give him the chance to, to voice that. They may not want to be a chemical engineer, but they're going to do it. 
You're going to place unreasonable demands about their grades and what school they get to. And you haven't even asked them. You haven't, you haven't even given them a chance to even, even voice what they think God might be calling them to. And, and, and so you're living through them. And I miss that. And Listen, you, you, your value on your kids is not based on what you hope them to be. Your value on them should be what God already placed in them. And that's not a license for you to let them just be slack. Don't Listen, you should be praying alongside them. God, what have you called this child to? And give me all the equipment and tools to help them get there. And help me hold them accountable to that. But let, not, don't let me force them on a stand on them that you didn't call them to. And that's how you discourage and dishearten them. I've watched it. I've been in enough ballparks. I've seen parents who are that. Dude, swing, strike three. Dad, come over as soon as the coach is done. Grab a kid by the head. What are you doing? Give me a break. Really? In front of God and everybody? Huh? Has God ever done that to you? Can you imagine Jesus ever doing that to you? Please. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm picking, ain't I? Am I picking? I'm sweating, I know that. It's by the tenderness of parents and dutifulness of children that God ordinarily, listen to this, that God ordinarily finishes furnishes his church with a seed to serve him. That's a beautiful line. That's a beautiful line. Can I say something else, parents? You have to give them a chance as they mature to make decisions, and you have to give them the opportunity to fail. Because their faith needs to be their faith, not yours. And at some point in time, you create a safety net God had never intended them to have. Because he wanted to unveil himself to them, and you keep stepping in the way. Do we do that? That's the thing about adolescence thing. Listen, if your kid is 24 years old and still living at home and playing video games in the basement, make him go get a job and tell him he has two months to get on with it. Oh, as I'm thinking, I was a little bit gracious. But I'm saying this, we keep, we keep extending adolescence and we wonder what we're getting the results we're getting. If the culture's doing it, that's probably not a good sign. If Jesus had a way of doing it and the culture's exactly the opposite, follow Jesus, not them. Be smart enough not to entrust your kid out of 16-year-olds with a $40,000 car. Are you kidding me? Really? Really? Who? Is that, does that even sound smart? I don't care how much money you have. That's dumb. That is a dumb decision. They ought to grow up and learn. You know what? My, my dad made me buy my family car. The car we drove around in with vinyl seats and a black vinyl top that we all piled in, I bought that crazy thing from my dad. And I don't regret it. I saw it in Kingston a few a couple years ago. I drove past that thing. I was filling up there to, what is that, the Sunoco station? And I, 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 walked, past, I walked past once and went, the holes where I put the six by nine speakers in the back deck were still there. The headliner was still falling out 20-something years later. Still love that car. Big old Hoopty 77 Chevrolet Impala, man. Big as it could be. I, could, I couldn't park it in front of this set of pews over here crazy if you don't you will discourage them they'll never know who they are in christ if you don't allow them to decide make a decision and, and fail 
They'll never know. They can't live off of your faith. That faith has to become their faith. Okay? A broken down spirit is fatal to youth, a theologian named Bengel said. I'm going to wrap this up. This will only make them discouraged. So don't, don't discourage them. You'll destroy their outlook on life, their purpose, their reason why God created them, how they perceive the way he sees them. If you, if you, if you operate in bitterness, you put a standard up too high that they can't achieve. If you don't, Tony, Tony um, Evans is, is known for saying, love without boundaries will lead to rebellion. Boundaries without love will lead to rebellion. The only way we get the, the correct product is to do love and boundaries simultaneously. I think that's a good, I think that's a good analogy. Is it 100% truthful? No, I know some kids, man, whose parents were a mess and they still turned out okay. That's an exception, though. Mercy again comes into the, again, this requires forgiveness, grace, and mercy. We are to be like the Father to our children. We've got to offer it to them, we've got to walk with them in it, we've got to do that. Here's the idea We're to, our homes are to reflect the person of Christ. Matthew Henry just said, I just read that piece where he said, that's how God furnishes a good seed is through a godly home where two spouses love each other, where, where children are reared, understanding they have a purpose and a parent's going to help them achieve and grow in that thing God's called them to be and they are loved regardless. That's where that happens. And so here's the deal. In Ephesians 5, the scriptures say, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration. He's talking about a marriage relationship. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. A family of Christ followers ought to be a testimony to the world around them. A home of people following Jesus ought to be a reflection of the glory of God. Ought to be. In and of itself, just the people watching you interact as a spouse, as a, as a father, as a mother, and watching, you, watching your children interact with you, there ought to be something that goes, dude, there's something going on there. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there's something going on. I told, I told the first service, listen to this, about two nights a week, my, my wife and children and my dog, seven of us, we take a walk around our neighborhood, and you get the craziest looks, because it's unusual for teenage kids to even want to be seen with their parents. And here we are, we are laughing and giggling and we're walking down the sidewalk and sometimes we walk up to Central Center Hardware and we get one of them crazy soda pop things they got in there or we walk into a community market, get some dip cones out of the deli or something like that. We just, they're not, we just, we walk down to Dairy Queen, all walk down to Dairy Queen together. Scooters in tow. And, and people look like, like you're completely, what's wrong with, what, what's going on over there? You know what's happening? A lady in our neighborhood starts calling my wife every day because she's going through stuff with her family. Rachel talks to her two or three days a week. Has an interaction with her. And she's calling, asking Rachel to pray. Why? Because she saw something. Why? Because we're great? No, because Jesus is. He's helped us be what doesn't come natural. It's not about me. It's not about Rachel. It's not about our kids. It's about the glory and the spirit and the presence of God. That's what it is. And we should want that. And it... Give him glory. You didn't have to, listen, 
here's how it, this looks. it looks like submission to his plan, what God tells the wife. It looks like love is self-sacrificing. That's what he's talking about. It looks like obedience and honor from our children. It looks like more encouragement rather than discouragement. That goes all the way around. And we talked especially about husbands and wives and fathers and children, but it goes all the way around. You know what else it looks like? It looks like forgiveness, grace, and mercy in full operation. That's what declares the glory of God. And, and so we have to walk that out. Can you imagine? Husband, you, you, should, you should be whatever the Father is. You see whatever God is. You are to replicate him in your interaction with your wife and your children. Wife, like Christ, praying in the garden. And he says, she, he says not my will, but your will be done. You should be in a, in a, in a state of submission to, to, to the one who's leading just like that. And you know what, children? You should be in honor and obedience to the ones who have called you who have nurtured you, just like the body of Christ is to be in submission to him. That's how it's supposed to look. That's how it's supposed to walk. And you know what? Can you imagine if all of us in this room right now would, would, would put ourselves in position where that would be the case? You know what I believe would happen? It started to a small degree. I think JFS would ring our, ring our phone off the hook. We got this family, and we don't want to, but we're on the verge of taking a child out of a home. Do you have a family who would sit next to this family and just help them sort it out? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like if all of a sudden we lived our family life in such a way that whatever we did, we did as representatives of Christ, and all of a sudden people started paying attention and went, you know what? I don't know what's going on with that family, but they need, they, we need that. Because it's not about you. It never has been. Husband, it's about the glory of God. Wife, it's never been about you. It's always been about him. Children, it's never been about you. It's always been about him. And he loves you. And he wants you to follow his purposes. Man, I'm, I know we're going along, man. I'm, I get wound up and I can't stand it. It's too important, man. The reds will wait. Huh? They're going to lose eventually anyway. I just burst your bubble. Okay? They are. They're going to let you down. This word of God won't. It won't. It may take you in some areas you're trying to figure out what God's doing, but he's not going to let you down. I promise. This morning, here's the thing. Some of you may be wore out with what's going on at your house. Can I say something? The apostle Peter tells people in the book of Acts, that the place to alleviate the weariness and the frustration of life is the place of repentance. And that's just not for unbelievers. That's not for people who are out there somewhere. That's for us as church folk. And if we found an area where we don't measure up to where God wants us to be, there's this thing called repentance where we take what we're doing and we turn around away from it and we do it the way God wants it done. And the Bible says at that moment that, there's, there, 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 that, that times, seasons of refreshing come at the place of repentance. So husband, wife, parent, children, whomever you might be at this moment in this room, can I encourage you to way to alleviate the frustration, the weariness that is not to worry about what everybody else is doing, but to worry about what you and Jesus can do together. And to turn away from what comes natural to you and turn, turn towards what he can do supernaturally in you and through you. Now, right now, you may be sitting here and like, dude, I'm just far away from God. Listen, that's okay too, because there's this father in heaven who loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves, loves you. And that's Southern Ohio for love. But it sounded like something else. I don't know what it was. And he, he wants you 
to come near to him. And I know some of you are packing some ugly baggage from a previous marriage or from a home life that was ugly as a, as a kid. And there's all kinds of things circling around you. Let God have that heart that hurts and it's broken and he will change it. He will be the father to you. You, 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 you can't imagine. He'll be the spouse to you. You can't imagine. He will help you navigate the rest of your days if you'll give yourself to him like we sang earlier. So, that's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask leaders, whomever you may be in this room, to just make yourself available as I pray. And if you have a need like, to, to, to respond to Christ in some way, I want you to just respond. I want you to come. I want to let somebody pray with you. I want, somebody, I want you to give your... Listen, can I say something? You need people involved in your life. And the reason we ask leaders to come forward is because you need more than just me yelling at you and spitting from the front of the church. And there's these, we're supposed to be a community of faith. And you can't live this by yourself. And we try and make, make opportunities available to people, but you just don't take advantage of it. And what I'm telling you is, get involved with a community group here, a connection group. Get involved in a ministry where you can have accountability, where you can have somebody who's pulling the, with you. And, and, and when you're weak, they can be strong for you. Get involved in that and quit sitting on the sidelines and watching church happen. Okay, done rant. If you need help, let us respond to you. Let's pray. Jesus, leaders, you come. Jesus, we come. And God, we're weak and we're frail. But God, you're big and you're awesome and you move mountains, just like we sang this morning, God. And Lord, I know there's people who are hurting because of issues in their home and their marriages and their families, issues with their parents, issues with their spouses. God, my prayer is, God, that today you would lift them up above that. I pray, God, what they can't be on their own, they would be, God, because of your power and because of your strength. God, I pray as they recognize the weakness and the frailty of who they are, that, God, they lean in hard and heavy towards the power of who you are. And Lord Jesus, they'd allow that resurrection power, that, that raisedness of Christ, God, over them. God, I pray, Jesus, you'd give them what they need. God, give them forgiveness toward a, toward a parent, towards a spouse. God, give them love and grace and mercy. God, I pray, Jesus, that your joy and your hope overtake them. God, for those who are sitting here right now and they've never entered into the family of God, I pray you'd help them realize, God, that you love them. There's a place for for them near you and that Lord Jesus you will father them like they need fathered you will be a husband them like they need to be a husband or a wife God you will be all that they need they will grow and be because of you Jesus and so God I pray they'd embrace you I thank you Jesus for this this, this group of people because they're your children and I regard them in high value because of you and I pray God your grace would be upon them Lord we trust you and we honor you and we bless you because you're bigger than us and you're greater than us in your awesome and strong name we pray, Lord. Amen.